me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. Welcome to Met FM, where every day is mandatory Metallica Day. Or you are actually listening to episode 36 of Metallicast, the Metallica podcast. I'm your host and fellow Metallica fan. My name is Brandon. Now, as you could probably tell from that introduction, this episode is going to be a little bit different than most Metallicast episodes. And that is because of my guest, Jeremy White. He is a radio DJ from Montreal, Quebec, Canada, as well as the host of the newly launched The Jeremy White Podcast. We talk about his career in radio. We talk about pop music, his love of producer Mutt Lang, and of course we talk about the mighty Metallica. But this is sort of a unique conversation about Metallica because of his background, So we talk more about their role in pop music. Now, if you are one of the hardcore 80s trues, you might be pissed off by this podcast. But for everybody else, I think you're really going to enjoy Jeremy. was really fun to talk to. He's very knowledgeable. And, well, just listen for yourself. Here is Jeremy White. My guest today is a radio DJ out of Montreal, Quebec, Canada. He is, of all things, a pop radio DJ, but a massive (laughs) fan of rock, hard rock, and I'm assuming metal since he's on this here podcast. Um, He is also breaking into the podcast world with his very own show that just launched, well, this past week as of... uh, Today, when we're recording it, the Jeremy White Podcast. Please welcome to Metallicast, the one, the only, radio pop DJ, Jeremy White. <laughs> wow. Making me feel so welcome. Although, I like a little Mitch LaFond montage, uh, homage at the beginning there. The one, the only. That's a, that's a total Mitch LaFond thing. I told him to copyright that, too, and he's like, ah, people can take it. I didn't think. But, no, listen to a Mitch LaFond interview, and... That's that's his thing. Be having you, as we say in Montreal, bonjour. Come on, come on, tell you. Like that's Mitch Lafon, man. Well, uh, you know, as you know, a couple episodes back, I had Mitch Lafon on for a great chat about Metallica, and yeah. that's sort well, of that's how, how I discovered you. I think well, we yeah, had like a bit exactly. of an interaction on Twitter, and then 
I kind of like the, I was listening to the episode Mitch and I was like, oh, this is really cool. And then we kind of like chatted a little bit and you were like, oh, why don't you come on the show? So <laughs> now here we are. You know? Exactly. It happened very fast. Um, yeah. Hopefully not too fast for you. I don't, I don't like to move too fast for my guests. But... Uh, I like to move fast, man. Come to a bar. <laughs> so the, I, I have a lot of uh, questions for you, um, but yeah. let's start with a Metallica question as this is a Metallica podcast. So I'm very curious. Oh, hold on a second. Let me, yeah. let, me, let me stop you right sure. there. So this is a Metallica podcast. Where did you come up with the concept that you love Metallica so much that you're like, yeah. I need to start and take time out of my weekends to go and talk about this band, <laughs> random ass people online. Yeah. Like, like, how did you come up with the idea of coming, like doing a Metallica podcast? That is a great question. So the short story is, um, they are obviously my favorite band and I got very good at turning every conversation with my wife into a Metallica conversation and <laughs> she got very, what's the word annoyed. And, uh, you know, she's not a, she's a music fan. She's, you know, she likes Metallica, but she's not a, a nerd like myself. So I, I, I came to realize sort of how that would be uh, tiring for her. So I decided yeah. to do her a favor, um, lock myself in the basement, uh, you know, at least <laughs> once a week and uh, talk Metallica talking to random, with random people. Um, exactly. To make it even sadder, though, when I started this podcast, most every episode I was by myself. So I would be in the basement talking to myself. Oh, that's just kind of sad. <laughs> that's just kind of depressing, man. Like, really? <laughs> Like, no, let me see. Watch Dancing with the Stars of the Wife or go talk to myself about Metallica in the basement. <laughs> well, it's funny because I did, you know, I, I I got really into just podcasts in general. I loved how so many of them were a deep dive into a certain topic or, you know, you could really do a really in-depth interview with somebody rather than just, you know, the typical media round that, people do on late night or daytime yeah. talk shows or no disrespect, but on vapid, FM radio and uh... <laughs> just like the vapid kind of vanilla middle of the road interview. So yeah. tell me what's your favorite snack backstage? Exactly. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, if you hear a couple of the interviews with the same person, it's the same exact interview. It's, yeah. You know, the questions are written out, the answers are prepared. And that's what sort of attracted me to podcasts. That and, like I said, being able to do like a deep dive into a topic. So between, I figured a podcast would be the perfect outlet for me. And I would do one episode and see if, uh, do one episode talking about myself, becoming a fan of Metallica, talking to myself about becoming a fan of Metallica. And <laughs> with hopes that somebody out there would listen. I figured if, if a few people listen, yeah. maybe I'll do a second one. And then it just kind of kept on going. I was doing one a month at that point. And now I'm in my third year. Um, a lot of people listen for some strange reason. And I've been able to have a lot of uh, build a lot of cool friendships with people. And um, nice. recently I've been able to interview a lot of cool people for the show, like uh, Johnny Z and Michael Alago, who played a huge mm -hmm. role in signing Metallica back in the day. And I was uh, just listening to your interview with the guy that did a documentary on, uh, was it Seek and Destroy? Did it, or, 
Uh, Stu Kerwin, who did the Master of Puppets documentary. Yeah, Yeah, I was listening to that in the shower the other day, and I was like, well, this guy's like talking to everybody that kind of had anything to do with Metallica, which is what you should be doing. It's a Metallica podcast. Yeah, and I have a lot of fans on, too, that, uh, you know, just want to come on and shoot the shit, basically, about our favorite bands and music journalists and what have you. You know, the, the interesting thing about doing Metallica podcasts is that Metallica, the band, is such a brand and yeah. is such a uh, protected thing that, you know, the walls are up around the fortress and it's very hard to penetrate the wall. So you kind of go into doing a Metallica podcast with the knowledge that chances are extremely great that no member of Metallica will ever have anything to do with your podcast (laughs) or even ever listen or even know who the fuck you are exactly so uh you know yeah i was listening to that metallicast and um (laughs) yeah i'm never gonna go on that podcast Uh, i really bet lars impression i mean i i invite them regularly on twitter I Metallica has a. Oh, they're not running that shit. Nobody. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. In an office, saying, Who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> hey, Lars, the guy wants you on his podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, you, um, just delete that. Uh, you know? Well, that's the joke, you know. I, I, I. They send out, you know, they have a phone number you can sign up for, and they just send out like, you know, mass. Uh, text messages to advertise things or whatever. And yeah. every week I respond like, hey, I'm recording this podcast just as a joke. <laughs> and then it's, it's something funny. You can take a screenshot, throw it on social media and be like, hey, I invited Lars. Who knows who will show up? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get but, Dave Mustaine on or somebody. <laughs> well, that's another thing is too, is that I would, you know, it, it is really interesting talking to the people who have been around the band and, um, kind of, I feel like you, in a way, get sort of the real story about a lot of things of how yeah. they went down and, uh, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly. And I would love, love to speak with Dave Mustaine. He is uh, one of my all time favorites, but he's also an easy target. And uh, I, if, if he I know he's never listened to the show, but if he ever did, he's heard really bad Dave Mustaine impressions regularly throughout the uh the series so i'm not sure he would ever from you to do or it. like from guests oh i from me all the time i'll, I'll do it for you in a moment oh, um God, and, okay. and i and i encourage my li- uh, my guests to also do it if they if they feel so compelled but uh, I'll, I'll give you my mustaine okay so here hold on a second all right it's metallic cast uh we're gonna go to uh dave you're on the air in hoboken hi dave you're on the air Ooh, dave <laughs> Ah, that's terrible. I love it. <laughs> Poor Dave. I know. I, I and I, I do it with love. I, I, I love Megadeth. Honestly, they're one of my uh, favorite bands of all time. Maybe not so much the last, you know, four to five albums they've done over the last fifteen years. But um, yeah. I just they- interviewed uh, David Ellison yesterday for my podcast. He's got a new album out. Uh, it's gonna be. It's like an all covers album. Oh, awesome. Through classic uh classic yeah 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 we we're talking a little bit about recording risk with dan huff and stuff so that's going to be on my podcast probably maybe next week i'm gonna put that up but you know that band 
they have such a rich history and just to go and do a deep dive with any of those dudes is really cool. And even to talk about some of the stuff that people don't really usually ask them about. Like I was talking to Dave Ellison about working with Dan Huff on the Risk album and, and the one before that. And, you know, Dan Huff was one of the most sought after session guys in not only Nashville, but also in Hollywood and like on all those big commercial records, like in the eighties, you know, right. he played with the, he got asked to play in white snake, you know, the, the the radio pop version of, uh, here we go again. Like that's Dan Huff doing like the guitar solo on that. He played on like um, a bunch of different things, but he played on the Shania Twain album, Come On Over. And it's the biggest selling album by female artists of all time. Right. And he played like good 70% of the guitar tracks and licks wow. on that album. And he worked with Mott Lang. And Mott Lang was the guy that kind of said to him, you know, you you have a bit of a producer's mindset. You should maybe, you should be a producer. <laughs> so he ended up going and he started working with, with uh, Megadeth. Wow. And he was talking about uh, different stories that Dan told, you know, about working with Mutt and stuff. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Always some, uh, my whole thing is that there's always a Mutt Lang connection somehow. Like, so, so that's, that's my thing. <laughs> well, I, 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 David Ellison, somebody I would really love to have on this show um, and maybe someday, but he is, uh, you know, he, I, I like to tease him once in a while just because he's such, he, like, he's not somebody you would expect to be in Megadeth. He's like so nice. You know, like he's just like a normal, like Midwestern guy who's just sort of like, hey, I'm here. I'm David Ellison. You know, he's just like super, super chill down to earth. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, yesterday, like we were doing the interview and he called me and he was sitting on the beach in uh, California, just like chilling there, like a table under an umbrella and just chilling, just casually shooting the shit, talking and it was almost like I totally forgot we were doing an interview. Like that's the thing about interviews yeah. and like my interview style compared to like other kind of like pop radio hosts where, you know, they kind of go in with like this entertainment tonight mentality of, uh, you know, even like their question style and like their presentation approach. Um, you know, I just, I like to forget that we're doing an interview and just have a conversation. Exactly. You know? Yeah. 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 Like if I have a, a guest coming on, usually I will, I'll write out questions if I need something to, uh, fall back on but i like to you know if i open with a question i like to just see where it goes have a conversation with them and yeah i'm also that... not interviewing anybody that i don't care about so right yeah i'm only going to interview if i actually am genuinely interested in you you know i get pitched interviews all the time and like you know especially with the pop station you know we could have like all these new artists new this new that but i'm just like eh you know <laughs> like if I don't have a fire first question to go in that I'm genuinely interested in, well, it's not really worth it for me. Like, and this yeah. whole thing with the podcast that I'm sort of going to be doing, like I want to talk about things that I'm interested in. And hopefully it it's interesting to others. Right. You know, because for the longest time, my entire career, I've been creating content for other people. Whereas now I'm like, you know what? I'm, I, I want to start doing and talking about things that I want to at the end of the day. So the fact that, you know, you do, you do the Metallicast, you love Metallica. You live and breathe the band, and that's what you s- surround your life with, outside of your family, obviously. Well, but it, it, you... Metallica then family, I think. After, yeah, so but of course. yeah, you know, and me, you know, yeah. <laughs> my bands uh, supersede everybody, you know. But it's like if you're you're so passionate about something and you turn it into something, it's it's a really nice feeling and it's a nice cool. You take pride in that. So with the podcast, that's kind of like my idea. You know, I want to kind of do something for myself for once. Awesome. Yeah. It, I find when I do this podcast, this is my current outlet for creativity too, because I'm always brainstorming about, you know, 
what is something cool I could do a different angle or this or that. And you have complete freedom to do whatever you want, especially like, yeah, I'm, you know, independent. You are doing yours independent as well. Correct. So you just have complete autonomy over whatever you want to do. Same thing. Like from, from my podcast and the fact that you have total creative control over what you want to talk about, you want to do a Metallica podcast. You can, you know, um, for me, it's, you know, working in pop radio and being under the constraints of the radio station and all those things. It's like to do what I'm doing, like, because my podcast is entirely independent. It's not associated with the radio station, like, you know, whatsoever. Um, yeah. You know, even contractually, you know, there's a lot of different, you know, working at it for with a, a big corporation like the radio station I work at. You know, there's so much corporate red tape when it comes to doing things outside of the company. All of a sudden, you're a traitor. It's treason. You're doing things with somebody else. But, you know, in my last contract kind of negotiation thing, I said to them, guys, listen, I want to do this. I want to do the radio station. But at the same time, I also want to do this podcast. And I want to talk about rock. I want to talk about food. I want to talk about wrestling. I want to talk about different things. And Uh-oh. And, and, another and, and, wrestling and, fan. Oh, yeah, I grew up on that shit. I mean, I learned everything I know about Canada from watching WWF, WWE. <laughs> Bret, Bret Hart. Hart. <laughs> yeah. The Quebecers. Damn, and <laughs> yeah. so, You know, it's it's like, you know, to be completely independent and have total creative control and freedom. It's it's like a fre- breath of fresh air and, you know, to be in control of something entirely from the sound of the podcast to the to the branding of it, you know, like the, the graphics, you know, from like the album cover to the way my videos look and all those things. Like I'm doing everything on my own. Like everything that I've learned and, you know, I'm entirely self-taught. So it's like everything that I've learned and taught myself through the years of being in the industry, I'm kind of, it's, it's, it's been a culmination of all these years. And finally I'm getting to put it to use for myself for once. Yeah. I was, I was talking to uh, one of my good buddies about doing this podcast because, well, side note, we actually do, uh, I have a second podcast, but it's very, I recorded with this friend, my buddy Greg, he it's recorded very sporadically. Like this is my regular regimented thing. But every few months, we'll sit down, and record something. It's called the Corpse Paint Podcast mm. uh, because we just talk about. It's basically we sit around drinking, talking about black and death metal, and listening right. to black and death metal. And by the way, we have a, a a drinking game we play called the David Ellefson Drinking Game, where every time one of us says Ellefson, we have to drink. So it's, it's a good time, but it's, that's more like, Hey, we haven't talked in a while. Why don't we talk about music? Just record it, have a few beers and see what happens type thing. Yeah. Um, but what was, the, Oh, I was, I brought it. I was like, why did I bring that up? Um, I brought it up because I was talking to this same friend, Greg, who I do that podcast with about, uh, you know, doing this show. And he was like, you're basically, he's like, think back to like high school, college when you were in bands like slaving away networking he's like you're doing the same exact thing now just with your podcast right like, this is oh, your yeah. creative outlet you're, you're you're online talk to people you meet people in person you're reaching out to this person that person and it's just before you know it you're you know you're it, it just becomes like this whole community which is really really the part that i like and i mean i got lucky because this podcast sort of had a built-in community with Metallica fans. I just well, sort yeah. of had to squeeze my way in, um, not knowing at the time that there were a few other Metallica podcasts that had just started like a little bit before I did. Mm. Is there a lot? Is there a lot of Metallica podcasts? There's a new podcast about Metallica every day, Jeremy. Um, <laughs> so 
when I when I started this show, I had no clue that there are other podcasts out there. I kind are of was, them good. Or are they? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, crap. I, yeah, no, they're they're the the main ones out there. Like uh, metal up your podcast. Um, I was on their show a little bit ago. Um, Alpha Metallica. It, they do like a A to Z of Metallica songs. Nice. Um, so we all sort of have been able to kind of like put our own spin on it, find our, you know, there's people who just listen to that podcast or my podcast or, or, and then there's people who listen to all of them. So I kind of discovered not only was it, uh, you know, the Metallica fan base community that you're Mm -hmm. squeezing into, but there's a smaller Metallica podcast community. And, (laughs) and I was like, so when I launched this show, I was like, "Hey, I had, like, I had no clue this shows these shows existed." And you know, right. I kind of checked out what they were doing and yeah. made sure I, you know, I could kind of do my own thing with it. And I'm like, I wonder, you know, what these podcasts will think about like another Metallica podcast. They're and like, they were all, fucker. That's <laughs> they, well, we're... they were all, they were all immediately like hey welcome like it's you know we're all talking about the same bands we have a you know some crossover listeners it, it just all bit one big community which i really like about it like they've been on some of them have been on my show i've been on their show um good. you know at the end of the day it's not like you're fighting for advertising dollars exactly or throw it industry it's like you know at the end of the day i think a podcast is really just for fun and you're because yeah. you're, you're fans we yeah, shouldn't like, be like oh that's all fuck over there you're just dumb metallic cast <laughs> no we're, we're the metallica fucking metal podcast you know we're like, all fans you know yeah and and that's why we all do it and you know if anything like the, i would say you know they might get somebody that i think's like oh i really would love to speak to that person or they might do have a cool idea like oh that's a really cool idea i wish i'd thought of that yeah. But that's just universal with everything, you know, you yeah, other podcasts, outside metallic podcasts or other outlets or whatever, but then you come up with your own stuff and you know, that you think is cool and fun and hope that, uh, you know, somebody out there saying like, Oh, I wish I thought that, Oh, I wish I could talk to that guy. You know, hey, so it all balances out. Steal from the best. <laughs> that's what I always say. So tell me you, I mean, you must not be able to talk a lot on the radio if it's, if it's kind of typical FM or is that not the case? No, that's definitely the case. Um, especially the radio station I'm on, uh, we're what we're, what would be considered hot adult contemporary. So we play, um, you know, the perfect mix and best variety of the eighties and nineties. And the moment I saw you, I knew a hot adult contemporary. Those were the three words that came to my mind. (laughs) I know, right? It's the long hair, the, the leather jackets and scarves I wear and, the the Def Leppard t-shirts and exactly uh, exactly well yeah. you know it, there's always a connection there because you know you look at what Def Leppard did in the 80s and they influenced you know Def Leppard and Mutt influenced pop music so drastically and oh, sure uh, yeah yeah techniques are still used in pop today but to go back to your point of you know talking about you know talking on the air and stuff so the, the station's a hot adult contemporary radio station so like I said we play 80s 90s 2000s majority of it is pop um and when i say pop i mean like electronic very 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 straightforward pop the 80s we play would be michael jackson and madonna the 90s would be cc peniston and ace of bass and uh, the 2000 stuff is like gwen stefani and destiny's child today it's lady gaga and bruno mars so it's very it's the it's the um 
white lady at wedding dance music, <laughs> basically, you know. And uh, for what I do on the air, you know, we have a very specific target and uh, demographic that we talk to. We target uh, adults and females between the age of uh, 25 and 54. And our main audience is a woman that's around 40 years old. And we have all of this market research that tells us who is listening. And so everything that right. we say on the air is targeted towards that person. And it's a very difficult gig because, you know, I'm, I'm a 26-year-old guy. I started working at this radio station specifically when I was 17. So, you know, I've been working there for almost 10 years now, and uh, I'm still learning about the audience. Um, yeah. Because you know, the audience is... Because um, you're not a 40-year-old woman. Well, yeah, that, <laughs> but uh, also at the same time, it's a broad spectrum of audience, right? right? Like, you target a woman that's 40 years old, but at the same time, if I want to talk about, you know, you, you try and find topics that kind of, you know, relate to everybody. Like, you know, sure. my mom is only 44, and my dad is 47. So when I was growing up, I'm now playing the music on the radio that they were listening to when I was growing up. So all the music is familiar to me. I grew up with all the different types of music in the house. But it really is the content that goes in between those songs that I'm responsible for. You know, uh, if I'm not selling like a promo on the radio station, like, oh, hey, don't forget to wake up with Nikki in the morning show tomorrow. They got your Google Nest Mini. And it's going to be great for you to have that because starting September 7th, we have got the Beast Payroll payout, 50 bucks an hour every single day. So when you win that Google Nest Mini, you'll be able to hear us everywhere in your house. And if we call your name, well, then you got the free money. Get signed up online. There you go. There's, there's a, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But if I'm, sa- if I'm saying that four times a show, five days a week, well, I have to come up with 20 different pitches of that sure. every week. So that's part of the art that comes along with it. And then it's the content, you know, lifestyle stuff, new research and new surveys out saying that women would prefer vaginal intercourse as opposed to anal intercourse. Why, though? <laughs> that's coming up in two songs. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you're, you're <laughs> so you're, yeah. you're trying to find different things and it's like the different topics and stuff and Obviously, I'm not talking about vaginal and anal intercourse, but uh, you know, I mean, uh, I but I'm a podcast; so. anything goes. So, well, that's it. You know, on the podcast, you can do whatever you want, but so you know, I, there there is certain restrictions, and you're kind of sure. stuck in the confines of what is considered clean, safe, child friendly <laughs> entertainment. I had this old program director that used to describe the radio station as Disney meets Oprah. Wow, I and, can I the I mean, from what you're saying, I think that's the perfect description <laughs> yeah and i love it like don't get yeah. me wrong like i'm not talking shit whatsoever about working no, at yeah, yeah. i freaking love it and i live for it because there's a certain art to it you know like if i'm if i'm allocated nine seconds to talk about something well how can i create something that's compelling enough for you to keep listening in order for me to sell that to you in two songs coming up or three songs or you know, right. so you're constantly coming up with different, uh, you know, I'm a salesman for a living, essentially, between songs. Yeah. So it's it's constantly coming up with compelling content to put in between those those songs. It's a little bit of like a mental and verbal puzzle that you have to figure out. Yeah. I mean, it really is. And especially because of who I am and, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not the demo. I'm not the demographic. <laughs> you know? I, I mean, I'm the first to first to say that. But I think I do a pretty good job trying to, you know, create content and connect to them. So my shows sure. are number one. I, I I must be doing something right. Awesome. So I sort of have two related questions for that. So one, how many times in your life do you think you have heard the sign by Ace of Base? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> 
a lot. And the, honestly, I will never get tired of hearing Blind Mace of Faith. <laughs> like, dude, what a freaking anthem, you know? Um, The second really part, I was just listening to your podcast. The, as at the time we're recording this, the first episode is out. And uh, you have Mitch LaFawn on. Uh, yeah. To sort of do the intro with you. You guys have a really interesting chat. And the part that kind of grabs me was when you're talking about Top 40 Radio and how much it's changed because now. Hold on. I'm talking about Top 40 Radio. Here you go. Hold on a second. Oh, it's not, it's not working. What the hell? Oh, I screwed up. I did something wrong. Okay, go on. <laughs> so, you know, top when people hear Top 40 now. You think of yeah, we're talking about top forty radio here, the Metallicast podcast. Coming at you with some classic Ace of Base. It's Metallicast radio. There you go. Coming at we're you. Both in the right face. Now. Name all members of Metallica, past and present, and you can score yourself a roll of James Hetfield toilet paper. I'm just kidding. Is there, is there James Hetfield toilet paper used? If I mean, if there is, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> Mitch LaFawn would totally want used James Hetfield toilet paper, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but you you're you and Mitch are having this conversation about Top 40 Radio. And in you know, now in 2020, when you hear the term top 40, mm. a very specific sound comes to mind. But yeah. you know, forever, you know, even through you know, my childhood of I was born in 1985. So, you know, coming up through the nineties, I've I feel like top 40 was everything it was. Yeah. Uh, it was, you know, it was, well, Paul it was American Duel, top 40 Michael King Jackson, King. you know, Nirvana, yep. uh, you know, Pearl jam Metallica. It, it was everything kind of wrapped into one, it, you know, it just watching MTV, even not that long ago. Like even when I was in high school with, uh, you know, total request live, you can yeah. tune in. You can see Backstreet Boys, Christina Aguilera, Metallica, Marilyn in the early Manson. 2000s, when I was Eminem, just, you know, yeah. When I was getting into all that stuff, like in the early two thousands, like watching TRL, like after school, like that's right. where I started to, you know, my auntie used to watch TRL. Like I'm from a native reservation just outside of Montreal, so we get like American channels and stuff, and we had like Direct TV growing up. So I'd watch like American MTV and I'd have TRL and, you know, you'd see the Backstreet Boys on and you see Britney and you see, you know, all, like all the videos like, um, you know, the Lady Marmalade and like all like all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, Sixpence, none the rich. Uh, and all the, all the like, great. <laughs> they were more VH1, I think. They were more VH1. Was it more VH1? Yeah. But... I just remember there being two like uh stylistic differences between MTV and VH1 back in the day where like MTV would be like, here's the new Backstreet Boys video followed by the new Marilyn Manson video, followed okay. by the new Eminem video. And then VH1 would be like, here's the new Matchbox 20 video. Here's the new Chumbawamba video. That's always how, when, when I grew up, I, I could just be pulling this out of my ass, but when I grew up, I always associated certain bands as like VH1 bands and certain bands as like MTV bands. And the MTV bands were always just like a little bit cooler and edgier or just like massively popular, like the boy bands and stuff like that. Maybe I was just too young to, I guess, pick up on that 
trend, but not, I, I could be that. pulling that out of my ass, but that's sort of just how I remember it. No, but that would make total sense because you got to remember at the end of the day, VH1 and MTV were competition. So, right. you know, a friend of mine um, worked at Q1043 in New York City. It's the biggest classic rock radio station in America. He was Jim Kerr's morning show producer for 16 years. And he was saying that uh, Howard Stern was still on K-Rock. Um, the same company also owned, I think it was, was it WNE, was it WNEW? It was one of the stations, but it, it was a sister station of the company. And they, right. they were going to book Green Day on that other radio station. And the program director at K-Rock said, fuck you. If you bring Green Day over there, I'm pulling their entire catalog from K-Rock. Wow. And they were like, but but you're the same you're the same company. Doesn't matter. We're still competing for ratings. Howard in the yeah. morning, we're number one. You bring them over there, your band's not getting played. So wow. they were like, uh, okay. And then it was actually Opie and Anthony. Opie and Anthony were on in the afternoon. Oh, I yeah. think. I, Howard was on in the morning. And they went I'm on a, the air. I'm a big Opie and Anthony fan from back in the day. I grew up. Yeah, I, I grew up listening to them more than I grew up listening to Howard Stern. Yeah, it's two different things. Yeah. But yeah, uh, what were we talking about? See, that's the beauty of a podcast. That's a great question. Uh, so, you, well, you were having a conversation with Mitch LaFon on your podcast about just Top 40 and, and just about how it changed because, you know, 2020, people hear Top 40, you think of just kind of what's out there for pop music, like the Katy Perry's and well, stuff yeah, like so that. I'll explain to you the way it works. Nirvana happened. And once that happened, um, you know, it was that anti-rock star kind of thing. Oh, well, we're not going to dress up in fucking gay spandex and wear makeup and put our hair up in big freaking bird's nests. No, we're going to dress like the average Joe that's working at the car shop, changing oil and that kind of thing. So the rappers were like, oh, really? You don't want to be rock stars? Okay, we'll be the rock stars. And that was the decline of rock right there. And ever since then, rock's never recovered. So that's why you'll never hear rock in top 40 radio. Um, you know, back in the 80s, top 40 was literally pop music was pop music. Pop is just popular music. And sure. Metallica is pop music. Yes, completely. Yeah. thousand percent uh, to, to a certain percentage of the population, completely pop music and popular. So now in 2020, you look at pop music and um, my radio station, for example, we're afraid of touching anything with electric guitar in it. You'll hear clean guitar. Um, you know, a lot of pop songs today are a lot of pop and dance EDM music starts with has a cool guitar lick, a cool guitar riff in it. And that's because it's songwriters writing the songs and then DJ producers are taking it and turning it sure. into EDM. Yeah. So anything with electric guitar, we don't touch because we think that it's too aggressive and our, our audience, uh, oh no, our 40 year old audience, no, they don't like electric guitars, but that they, they tend to forget that that 40 year old grew up in the age of Nirvana and black album and was exposed to the late eighties, early nineties when the hair bands were still pretty relevant and they were aware of it. You know, Bon Jovi, every time he comes to Montreal, he can do four nights at the bell center sold out arena easily. Kiss mm -hmm. every these rock these heritage rock acts. Def Leppard they come to Montreal. Def Leppard they fucking love coming to Montreal because every time they play here, it's sold out and it's the loudest freaking crowd that they play in front of, because the city is just such a rock town. We're just a music town. Um, when you look at the top forty radio now, it's pop in the sense that it's the dance electronic produced music. So it's 
like the Madonnas of 2020, the Katy Perry and the Lady Gaga and the Dua Lipa and, um, you know, the Michael Jacksons of today, like Bruno Mars and The Weeknd. And then you got Justin Bieber and you've got the Ed Sheerans. And in Canada, we've got on Mendez and Drake and Alessia Cara. And, you know, so with the decline of rock came the upswing of pop and rap to fill the gap. Yeah. So, you know, pop in 2020, it's not rock because people aren't exposed to it. And there's nowhere for them to be exposed unless they discover it on their own. And that's the cool thing about streaming services and all those curated playlists because you can go yeah, on and just type very in true. Hair, and you can have a full playlist or, you know, Sirius XM, Hair Nation, they, you know, or Boneyard. And you can go from hits one to listening to whatever you want, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, going back to my buddy Greg there, who I, you know, host the other podcast with, we, uh, we're always sharing music back and forth because we both have Apple Music. So it's like you literally can text a song to somebody and, you know, it's for me, I, I love going to the record store, buying a physical product, but I just do not have that around me anymore where I live. It's just non-existent. And I have no desire to go to Target and look at the 20 CDs that they have (laughs) on their shelf. Um, So for me, that's where like streaming services have been really cool. Because going, you know, tying with your point is, you know, every week I get a new Music Friday playlist and, you know, some of it I can easily dismiss, but some of it I'm like, oh, I've never heard this band before. That's really cool. Yeah. And that's the cool thing about those curated playlists is the fact that, you know, you can actually discuss streaming is the number one. Actually, you know what? I would say it's the number two discovery tool in 2020 because I'm a radio guy and I don't want to give them the number one slot. But the market research does, in fact, say that radio is still the number one destination for new music discovery. So when a song breaks on the radio, it will most likely be on your new music playlist on Spotify right. or different things. Yeah, yeah. We get serviced the stuff early because they actually make money from radio play. So they try to help. And <laughs> well, so that's they, a gigantic problem. Yeah, it's a it's a big, uh, you know, it's a big incentive. So, you know, if you go on, um, listen, at the end of the day, people will find it. If they want to find. So I just say more power to, you know, competition's always good for the consumer. Right. Yeah, no, I I agree. So I'm curious where. By the way, we've totally lost all credibility on this podcast. (laughs) Because we we call Metallica pop music. And people are like, what the fuck, man? For for the record. Yeah. For the record, it is not the first time it has happened. So uh, one of my... uh, frequent guest uh is richard s he's a music journalist from australia and he is uh, good eye. <laughs> exactly that's all the australian i know too so uh <laughs> so he uh he's been on a the show a bunch and uh he's a massive metallica fan but he loves pop music right and uh he writes a lot about uh pop music and um you know he's just a music fan so the first time he was on the show we were talking about how Metallica is pop music because as we said on this show, on this episode, pop popular, you know, you, if you can, yeah, it's heavy pop music, but enter Sandman, um, you know, until it sleeps, um, all those radio singles. Unforgiven and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's popular music. It's pop music. It's just on the heavier side of things, which you, there's not many bands on the heavier side that have been able to cross over, but that 
that is what makes Metallica a special band because they're sort of the exception. Listen, I could play you some EDM that would blow your freaking socks off with the heaviness, way heavier than Metallica. And I say that like production wise, you could hear like big fucking like industrial drums and with like the loudest fattest synthesizer you ever heard going <laughs> like it's heavier than the the darkest of black metal that you could possibly norwegian sacrificing babies metal but but do they go yeah or wow do they do that no and they're probably not playing universal <laughs> monsters painted guitars either and, you know was anyways so when did you get into the band? When when did Metallica first appear on your radar? First time I ever heard Metallica was at a Montreal Canadiens game, and that is the song that they used to come back after the intermissions. They use uh, "Ride um, Ride the Lightning." Is it "Ride the Lightning"? Yeah. Ruin the bell tolls. Fuck me! It even has the bell at the beginning. As soon as you hear the bell, you know the you know the intermission. How many times growing up? listening to rock radio i would hear a bell and i'm like is it gonna be for who the bell tolls or hell's bells Hell, bell. <laughs> right no that makes sense so that was my first exposure to the band i uh, never really got into them when i was growing up i was a van halen guy van halen shania twain def leppard like those were my bands kiss uh motley crew uh wasn't just i was kind of afraid of the heavy heavier stuff uh one of my, my one of my best friends growing up at the time his name was weedy and his dad todd they kind of really got me into like uh, like music early on in high school. And I was always afraid of the like really heavy stuff because I didn't find it musical. Like to go from listening to Van Halen where it's nice and melodic and you got Shania Twain and all these great melodies and songs and amazing, incredible, pleasurable production. And then to go and listen to like, like, you know what I mean? It just didn't make sense to me. Like for the longest time, I was like, this isn't music. This is crap. <laughs> um, then I discovered Black Album, and that completely changed my perspective on the possibilities of enjoying heavier music. And I know people are going to hear, oh, really, Jeremy, Black Album, heavier <laughs> music? Get the fuck out of here. No, but you got to understand and realize, you know, what the Black Album did. And, and that completely opened right. up it opened up the door for all the other shit that they did before that. So if you yeah. like Black Album, you probably will go like Master of Puppets. And, you know, you'll, you know. Sure. So I I started getting back into like the back catalog and figuring it out. And um, still to this day, I mean like black album, geez, I'm, I'm a bigger fan of the production than anything else because, Oh my God, what a record Bob rock produced, man. Uh, the engineering is phenomenal. For the only time I heard a rumor that they chose, they wanted to work with Bob rock because of Dr. Feelgood. Yeah, that's true. That's a true story. They liked, it's funny because you know, it, when Metallica started out in the early eighties, Right, they were, they were against glam and the Motley Crues of the world. Yeah. Image wise, they were complete opposites. Oh yeah, and like and T's. They looked like the roadies on stage. <laughs> right, exactly. So, like, hey, uh, is this the band I paid to see, or are these like the techs setting up? All of a sudden, James is there. Oh, okay, this is the band. <laughs> right, but that so that was part of the big controversy with the old school metalheads, uh, the trues as uh, sometimes they're called where, you know, uh, when they announced that Bob Rock would be producing the guy who produced Motley Crue and I, I believe Bon, bon Jovi. Jovi and uh, it's oh. like, and, but you know, 
the end result spoke for itself. And obviously, that was my first Metallica album. I remember hearing it when I was really young. Um, And, you know, for so many people, including myself, that was their gateway album into not just Metallica, but heavy metal in general. If I did not get into Metallica, that I'm not learning about Dave Mustaine and getting into Megadeth, and I'm not, you know, from there being like, oh, the big four, Anthrax, Slayer, and and then finding Pantera, and, and, and now, you know... I, you know, by the time I'm in high school and playing in metal bands, you know, I'm listening to Cannibal Corpse and more black metal and death metal stuff. It, it just evolves. And I listen to, you know, a lot of stuff outside that, uh, outside metal as well. But, yeah, um, you know, that was the gateway to so much. And, and, and that's the case for so many people. Totally. You know, that's the thing. Like for me, when I was when I was listening to Van Halen growing up and the first CD I ever had was Van Halen's 1984. My uncle Terrence showed me the old. Uh, the music video and I was obsessed with the keyboard and the guitar and I just loved it. And that was what wanted me to play guitar. And then I heard Shania Twain on the radio and I was like, what is this? And I fell in love with come on over. So from come on over, I was like, wow. And as I got older, I started, you know, getting more into it. And I was like, okay, produced by Robert John Mutt Lang. Well, that's interesting. And then I got a Def Leppard album and I heard pour some sugar. And I'm like, Oh my God, this song's fantastic. And I bought, the hysteria CD, and I was listening. I look in the back. Oh, Robert John Mutt Lang. I see. <laughs> I see the connection here now. You know, right. so it's interesting how you know certain people involved in certain aspects of records can help you discover other things that aren't necessarily just that. Sure, exactly. You know, and you know, I I feel like in the metal world, Metallica's probably done that the most. Whether it's bands they've shared the stage with or producers that they've worked with or um just trying things a little bit outside their comfort level like performing with lady gaga at the grammys and just sort of they're they're really the only band in the genre that is willing to uh well they're really the only band in the genre that people would care enough to see like on the grammy stage truth be told but but also they're willing to take that risk and i think that's part of the reason why they're that one band. Yeah. I also like Metallica for the fact that, you know, it's funny you said that, you know, they go on the Grammys, they do the Lady Gaga thing. And I, I love the fact that they're not just a middle of the road, afraid of fucking metal fans band. You know, you look at all these, you know, one of my best friends, he's a metal guy. He's, you know, a proper fucking, you know, like trucker hat, fucking rim. Punched up with fucking thrashed written Sharpie, you know, and like, you know, fucking metal. Oh, everything else is fucking gay, bunch of fags. And I'm like, that's the other thing, like the homophobic fucking, like, just, oh. I do feel like that is, I mean, I like to think it's a minority. minority yeah i think it is a minority and it's a shame that that like that type of mentality is still prevalent in 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 metal because it's just it's ridiculous in 2020 listen but you know what those are the same people that in the 70s and 80s were dressing up like rob helfer because they thought it was badass yes but in actuality it was an expression of his homosexuality the the fucking metal god is gay as fuck and he was so (laughs) proud of it you know and you know that's what i mean it's you can't judge people just based on those types of things. So I like the fact that Metallica isn't afraid to take chances like that. Say, yeah, oh, really? Oh, you think that's gay? Well, fuck you. We'll go play with Lady Gaga on stage, motherfucker. Yeah. 
Or we're gonna, oh yeah, you don't like Bon Jovi because you don't like his big fucking hair and he gets laid more than you on the road. Okay, well we're gonna work with his producer. <laughs> you know, and I like that about in a band because they're not afraid to take chances. You know, unless if unless you're constantly reinventing yourself and being experimenting and evolving as an artist, that's what I talk a lot of artists about. You know, hey, this album's a lot different from your last piece of work. You know, what's going on? What's what's changed in your mind? And they always, 99% of the time, say, honestly, I'm just evolving. I'm exploring more of my influences. Right. I don't just like one thing. And if I can take something from one genre that I like and mismatch it with another piece of another genre if I, I like, you know, and I come up with this product, well, at the end of the day, you're allowed to like what you like, you know? So the exactly. thing with Metallica, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you listen to the Black Album, people talk as much shit as they want about it, but it's the biggest selling metal album of all time. I mean, has it been beaten by a metal band specifically? No. It's barely been beaten by anybody no. outside metal. They just recently beat Shania Twain's Come On Over maybe like four or five years ago in like terms of sales. Yeah. And that is, that's like over over 10 million albums, 25 million, 40, 50 million albums. You know, you know so what I, is crazy is that if you look at like the charts now for, you know, whether it's physical copies or... Yeah, digital or the black album is always on there, especially. And so you'll see like, oh, the new album by Lamb of God is number one. The black album is number two. <laughs> it's like what? Yeah. It's like it's like back in black. You know, it's yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, it's it's just constantly going to be within the the one hundred. Like know, I remember the the week Hardwired to Self Destruct came out for whatever hard rock chart or whatever it was. Yeah. Hardwired was number one. The black album was number two. It is just like, <laughs> like the, it's just the album that will not die. You know, no, it will never die. And you know, it's also one of the most sampled metal album produced albums of all time. Because what, and that's what I like about Mutt Lang. It always goes back to Mutt. You know, every record that he put out, well, he changed the landscape and the sonic landscape of music. After that, everybody wanted to make records that sounded like his because they sounded so good. Back in Black set the template for every rock album to come after that, and then he put out Pyromania. And then every album started sounding like Pyromania. And then he went to Hysteria. And then pop music started sounding like Hysteria. And then right. he went and did Country. He did Shania Twain. All of a sudden, he, he did Shania Twain more than one way. But, <laughs> he, you know, they put out The Woman and Me, and it completely changed the scene of country music. And then they put out Come On Over. And that completely revitalized the entire thought process that goes into country and pop music in general. Because it wasn't just pop. It, it wasn't just country. It, was cro it crossed over into pop and you know, there's a lot of rock elements on that album and the sonic landscape of the record really influenced the music around it. Drums started sounding like drums and sounding real again. You know, guitars started sounding right. like guitars again, as opposed to sounding like recorded with uh, one mic in a garage and just sounded like shit, you know, it was like, <laughs> and then he did it again with Shania Twain's Come On uh, with, with Up in 2002, country music. He just continuously reinvented himself and, the, the sonic landscape of the industry and Metallica really did that for metal yeah with that album because the kick drum alone on the black album is the most sampled kick drum I think of all time <laughs> even to this day you still have that clickiness that yeah, yeah. You know? and like the snare drum and the cymbals and you know like the influence that that record had on the industry people will talk shit all they want about it but like I said it's untouchable that album it's untouchable. And I will also say this before we continue. The Black Album, at the end of the day, they wouldn't have made that record if they didn't want to make that album. 
Right. And if you look at a band like Def Leppard, their entire career, people always talk about, oh, you know, they were a really great hard rock borderline metal band and on through the night. You listen to songs like Wasted. And then they went and started working with Mutt Lang and they he made them sell out and they're doing this sugary bubblegum pop stuff on stereo. That's not rock. That's not metal. Fucking sellouts. They wouldn't have made that album if they didn't want to make it. And through their entire career, they worked their asses off in order to get to that point where they could become such confident and comfortable musicians that could, they could compose such incredible songs and melodies right. like that. So the fact that Metallica went in with Bob Rock and he said, guys, your, your best isn't going to be enough. I want absolute greatness out of you. And I always go back to that video of, uh, you know, the behind the scenes video of Kirk trying to record the, uh, the guitar solo, I think it was for the Unforgiven. Unforgiven, yeah. It's a classic, uh, that classic moment video. for us nerds, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and it's like that album was everything that they'd worked for was to get to that point and make that album. That is their statement record. And anybody that doesn't like it, well, they don't see it for what it is. Plus, people who do not like it are not really well. They're not fans, fans you know. Like it, it's just a, uh, you know, it's different than what came before, but different is okay. And it's such a huge sounding album. Like if you put on "Sad but True," you cannot tell me that song is not heavy as yeah. fuck. <laughs> well, dude, that's the thing. You know what? I think people misconceptualize good sounding with not heavy or great production and not metal. You know, you listen to the Misfits, okay? You listen to, you know, uh, Horror Business and We Are 138. That production right. sounds amazing for what it is. Yeah. You know? But if you translate that production style to The Unforgiven or. <laughs> right. It, it, one and one does not equal two. It equals yeah, yeah, like yeah. Of 11 at that point. Yeah. So, you know, people like to misconstrue good production for not heavy and, you know, awesome engineering and not metal. You know, you're allowed to have great sounding music. Absolutely. You're and allowed to have drums that sound like drums and have explosive cannonball snare. And, you know, just well, because it doesn't sound like the band at soundcheck in a small fucking bar doesn't mean <laughs> it's, it's not the band, you know? Right. So it, I have a, I have a, I have a point and a couple follow-up questions I was thinking of while you were talking. Um, so, it you know the Black Album was also a reaction to what they had done before. It was purposeful in that way. Like if you listen to Injustice for All, you know that album was criticized for how it was produced and mixed because of the lack of bass on it. The yeah. songs were, you know, it. I think it's. Hold on, I have that bass track here somewhere. <laughs> exactly. I think you know the songs are very progressive they are the the shortest song on the album is like just short of six minutes you know the longest song the album is just short of 10 minutes they after touring that album they were like we want a change we from a production standpoint and from a songwriting standpoint we just want to write short concise songs so the black album was it was a statement but it was also a natural evolution for the band because they, yeah, yeah, they spent all those years getting to that point, but it also it was them kind of saying, "Fuck you" to what we had done before, and yeah. it, you know, if you do not like it, that's fine, but you have to at least respect that. And yeah. to do a song like 
nothing else matters when you are, you know, 10 years earlier, were the most extreme underground metal band in 10 years later, you're doing that song. I, I, I view it less as sellout and more as, wow, it takes a lot of balls. Yeah. It takes a lot of life experience and maturity to come to the realization that, you know what? I'm just going to do this. And I don't care. Right. Well, it, you know, it kind of ties in with what you were saying before too, where it's like, you know, the, the majority of the songs on kill them all were written when they were 18, 19 years old. Yep. Now they are in their fifties. Do you want them writing the same stuff now? It's, if they try to write, you know, hit the lights, which they, when they wrote when they were teenagers, it's, <laughs> it's going to, even if they try to duplicate it, it, it it's just not going to be the same because it's the, you have all these years of maturing as a person, maturing as a musician. There's so much more knowledge in their heads now that they cannot ignore, even if they want to, that they'll never be back to that point. And no that's a good thing i think like that i would be concerned i would be concerned if uh, if every album sounded like kill em all kill em all it's a great album it was influential it was groundbreaking and they had to mature and build from that on ride the lightning and then on master and on each consecutive album they're not one trick ponies and they showed that off with the black album that's all you can say you know i I so a follow up question I was thinking of was I'm really interested to hear what you think about the load reload era because that perfectly ties in with sort of all right we're going to do even more of what we want to do kind of, you know they keep Bob Rock on as producer they cut their hair short they're taking you know the load album cover as you know them wearing kind of like eyeliner it looks kind of like a Calvin Klein um, commercial. <laughs> Um, in a lot of ways and and they start just and they're kind of doing just to troll metalheads in a way and you know Lars and Kirk especially really you know went headfirst into it there's a picture out there of Lars and Kirk kissing just to like troll people there is um I it remember awesome because it goes back <laughs> to the whole fucking homophobic right I, I rem- fucking metal bro you know I remember reading interviews with with Lars or at least a interview with Lars where he w- was making statements like, I wish I could take the metal out of Metallica. Um, <laughs> it, you know, just like, like obviously they're just saying even there might be, there might've been some truth in what they were feeling at that time, but it's also just being said to fuck with people and to like, and to turn metal it, just to make metal heads heads Dude, spin. People, they take everything so freaking serious that they'll take every word that they say like it's uh, the holy word like you know obviously him saying oh i i wish i could take the word metal out of metallica <laughs> like come on man and like in you know, photo and stuff it's like dude they're obviously like taking the piss and you, well and you so still much. see you still see you know people out there on social media and forums whatever and they're like they're like oh yeah i like metallica Except for that alt Talica stuff, except for that country Talica stuff from like, it's just like, I, there was somebody who might be listening to this podcast right now and you are, hello. But um, <laughs> he, he posted on Twitter earlier this week, like, Ride the Lightning and Master Puppets are true Metallica albums. And I responded, fun fact, if the album cover says Metallica, 
it's a true Metallica record. <laughs> Thank you. It, it's that's people saying that Van, you know, Van Hagar isn't Van Halen. Well, dude, it's the same fucking guy writing the music. You dumb yeah. fuck. It's Van Halen. Yeah. Anyways, it, it's just pe- when people's nostalgia, I think, cloud their own their ways that they want a certain know? thing. You know, they, you know, the, people want what they want, and yeah. you can't please everybody. So there no. you go. So I had a second follow-up question because we're talking about, you know, sort of the hugeness and the beauty of the production of the Black Album. Fast forward uh, 10 years or so, and we have St. Anger produced by Bob Rock. Kind of another statement by the band in a completely different way. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to get your opinions on that. Well, you also got to remember that. I'm production. also wearing my St. Anger t-shirt right now. Yeah, I noticed. Yeah. <laughs> Your face you gotta... looks disgusted. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. Oh, yeah. I'll be honest. I noticed. <laughs> it's a Metallica album at the end of the day, like you said. You know, with, with the it was an alternative metal style with a raw production. There's no guitar solos. Um, you know, they kind of departed from this, you know, the signature style. But at the end of the day, you also got to look at what the industry was like at the time. You know, albums were sounding a little bit more raw again. And, you know, you listen to the rock and stuff that was out at the time. I mean, aside from the drums, you know what? Hold on a second. They did exactly what Metallica fans wanted. They wanted a fucking super raw, Mm -hmm. unproduced, like I'm sitting in the shitty club Metallica. Yep. Kill them all, and that's what they gave them, but with an early two thousand spin. <laughs> yeah, and they still weren't happy. I know that. Well, that was the real ironic part of it all was that you know when people kind of heard the first song or two, I think at first people were like, "Oh yeah, like Metallica's back. They're playing faster than." And then yeah. they. You know, a couple negative things. And then the snare drill out. Like, and then yeah. they hear, you know, they take a closer look at the sound of the snare and, you know, it kind of like the crack <laughs> in James's voice in this one song and how it's not really polished and the guitars are a little bit muddier and this and that. And then it's just like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Listen, I describe, I always go back to School of Rock where he says, those who can't do teach and those who can't teach teach gym <laughs> and that is exactly how i describe every critic ever those who can do become critics and yeah. everybody's a critic at the end of the day like what you like if you don't like it okay cool don't dwell yeah. on it don't tell me i'm not allowed to like it because you don't like it well i was just talking. maybe i like the snare drum sounding like a snop sign getting hit with a fire extinguisher <laughs> maybe i like that <laughs> well I, I it's funny because i was just um, editing an episode, which is already out by the time this one comes out, with author Mark Englington, who's co-written a bunch of music biographies and whatnot. And uh, we were having a very lengthy conversation about Metallica, and he brought up a great point about how you know the the beauty of the internet and social media is that everybody has a voice, and you know we were talking about the con of it all is that everybody has a voice. So it can affect certain albums and shows and yeah. what, what any form of entertainment in a negative way, sometimes unfairly. And I feel like St. Anger was one of those 
earlier album, uh, one of the earlier albums that was sort of affected by like the online backlash. And it, it's one of those things where I feel like, like, I know, I know people personally, because that album came out my senior year in high school, I was just about to graduate. Mm-hmm. And I, and I know people from back then who were like, Oh, yeah, I like the new Metallica album. And then as soon as like, kind of, negative comments were started going online well, they, they jumped started, on the bandwagon they started oh, yeah, they started right. turning be like oh yeah uh, and it's just like i could care less if you love it or hate it but you're now you're letting your your opinion be impacted by what other hey, people are saying online you're, you're allowing other people to influence whether you like something or not it's like going to a restaurant and somebody gives you a steak and you love it you think it's the tastiest steak you've ever eaten holy fuck this is amazing and then your grandmother's sitting next to you, oh, that's not well done. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. It's not well done. Oh, I hate this. I shouldn't be eating this. It's the worst garbage I've ever had in my life. You know, don't let, don't let other people influence your opinion. If you like it, just like it. That's why I posted that tweet the other day. I said, what if I told you that you're allowed to like other genres of music? You're allowed to like more than one genre of music. And you don't have to be a prick to people that are. And it blew up. People were like, you're fucking right. You know, I can easily go from Atlas to Zappa. Like what's what's the problem here? Yeah, yeah. I'm a music snob, you know. <laughs> Anyways, so Jeremy, please tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find the podcast, and yeah. uh, it, oh, I, like I said, part. I love this part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, the Jeremy White podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, subscribe on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, basically everywhere. Also, the interviews that I'm doing uh their videotaped and stuff so i'm throwing those up on my youtube channel i'm trying to build up the youtube thing i want to do more videos and stuff do some cool. coverage i know you're asking me if i could do a metallica cover i just didn't have time this week i'm working on a really good shania twain cover though so maybe i'll i'll give you that exclusive uh when that's done sweet i mean <laughs> this was half metallica and half and half mutt lang cast so oh my god <laughs> right i just sort of mutt lang podcast and just talk to everybody and anybody that's if, ever worked with mutt if you do not get Mutt Lang on your podcast. I'm going oh. to be disappointed for you because it'll never happen. <laughs> it'll never happen. The dude's never, never doing say never. Uh, Just say Mutt. I want to talk to you about your ex-wife Shania Twain. <laughs> well, that honestly, could be your opening line. Talk the relationship. I don't care whether they're you know about the marriage or not. Like I wouldn't even care about that. I would just want to talk to him about writing those epic course, songs. Yeah. You know how to how he conceptualized those the sound of those albums and created a sonic image that's instantly identifiable as soon as you hear the first note you know that's a of real course. genius right there anyways yeah so the jeremy white podcast available everywhere uh also rock talk with mitchell fawn you might recognize my voice though because if you listen to rock talk with mitchell fawn if you listen to the beginning rock talk with mitchell fawn that's it <laughs> i'm the voice guy well the, the... on rock talk with mitchell fawn mitch goes one-on-one with david coverdale like that's I'm I'm the voice guy. I I I I should ask you before we sign off here. How did you and Mitch hook up? As uh... <laughs> that's a great story, actually. So I'm on the radio in Montreal at night on the pop station, right? And the guy on the rock station is one is a buddy of mine. So we're competition, but we're buddies. Right. And uh, we were backstage at one of the biggest music and arts festivals in Montreal. It's called Oceaga. And uh, I was about to interview an artist and I was standing there and there was this guy and he and I, we just started like started talking because I, I think I was wearing a kiss shirt and he was like, oh, nice kiss shirt. And we started talking and stuff. Yeah. And then Jason was like, oh, you you don't know Mitch. Mitch, you don't know Jeremy. Oh, you guys need to know each other. And uh, 
<laughs> we developed a relationship from there. He was going nice. the, the following weekend or no, I think it was like, that was like on Saturday on Tuesday, he was driving down to Boston to go see uh Def Leppard and journey. Neil Sean had invited him and he's like, Oh, he's like, listen, uh, Neil Sean invited me to go down and do an interview in Boston. I'm driving down on Tuesday. If you want to come here more than welcome. And I'm like, Holy fuck. I just met this guy. Like, <laughs> What? And I didn't even know if Mitch was legit or not. At and this I point. thought I was moving too fast. Like, yeah, exactly. like, Fucking hell, he's inviting me. He's, he's got a broad in the car, taking it across state line. Don't think he's got a permission. You know, it's like Sheriff Buford T. Justice shit right there. So I, I, I didn't know if Mitch was legitimate or not. So I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll let you know. Like, you know, it's pretty fucking cool to be invited by Neil Sean. And long story short, I didn't go. I had to work anyway. Yeah. And he fucking goes and he sends me a picture of him hanging out with Neil Sean backstage, his working pass and everything. And I'm like, motherfucker, I should have gone. <laughs> so ever since then, I, I never doubted Mitch and we became best friends and we made so many memories together over the last uh, couple of years. And, awesome. and now he's kind of like my he's kind of like my borderline like producer, like how ha- slash writer for my podcast. And we back and forth, awesome. we, you know, uh, help each other out with different pieces of content and stuff and technical things and. So well, it's, it's great. It's a good partnership. Awesome. Well, I'm happy that you guys are friends because it introduced me having Mitch LaFon on the show introduced me to you. Yeah. And I think this was a really fun episode. And now, too, I, I've reached my quota for Canadian guests for the year. So oh, I do not need to go yeah. back to Montreal or anywhere else until 2021. <laughs> so it's perfect. Dude, your Canadian content <laughs> quota has been met. You're good. CRTC is not coming after you. I, I've got to get somebody on Apple Podcasts be like, one star hates Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that'll be me. I'll go do it. Technically, I'm not Canadian though. Technically, I'm I'm North I'm Indigenous. I'm North American Indian. I'm a Mohawk from Gunawaga with dual citizenship. So there's no border for me. Well, there so. you go. There you you're, go. You're, you're, you're probably actually more American than I am exactly. at this point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Go back to your country, colonizer. <laughs> All right, Jerry. Thank you so much, man. This was great. Yeah, man, absolutely. A uh, pleasure. And uh, by the way, uh, tell your Metallicast fans to follow me on Instagram and Twitter, Jeremy White MTL. Um, pretty easy to follow. JeremyWhitePodcast.com. You got all the links up there. I got a link tree with all the uh, different platforms and stuff. And um, episode two is going to be dropping on September 8th, featuring, uh, I think I'm going to go with Dave Mustaine. Uh, Dave Mustaine. David Elfson. <laughs> and I, I just wanted to see your face, your expression if I got Dave Mustaine. Uh, David Ellison and Tom Hazard from the Ellison Project. They got a new album. They're awesome. doing entire, like, it's all covers. So cool. We did a, we did a pretty cool uh, chat about that. So, anyways, thanks a lot for having me on, man. Just do me one favor. If you ever have Mustaine on, have me on as your co host. Okay. I will just go, ah. I, I will not do that, but I, I I will just kind of stare and be like, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. cast of destruction. You'll be like, oh, metallic cast. Ugh. Get Megan. the fuck out of here. Mega <laughs> <laughs> Dave. I love it. All right. On that note, thank you, Jeremy. All right. Thanks, man. Oh, shit. Sorry, guys. It's the wrong record. I am a lousy radio DJ. Um, let me see here. Hopefully I can fix it. Oh, here we go. I found the right one.
I hope you all enjoyed my conversation with Jeremy White. I personally had a blast talking to him. I know this episode was a little bit different than the usual Metallicast episode, but I thought Jeremy was a lot of fun to talk to, and he provided a lot of unique insight because of his background in radio and his interest in pop music. So please do him a favor, support his podcast, The Jeremy White Podcast. Follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Jeremy White MTL. And please, somebody out there, start a petition to get Mutt Lang on his freaking podcast so he can die a happy man. And make me a happy man by leaving me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Download, subscribe. Follow me on social media at MetallicaSpot on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen. Middle up your ass. Yeah! Fans not experts.